Are you allergic to happy, clappy Christianity? There's a good reason if that's true. Churches that ignore suffering are ignoring Jesus. Hey friends, I'm Mark Alanchelski, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 44, Your Suffering is Sacred. Today's podcast is sponsored by The Untangled Workbook. We're going to talk about some heavy stuff today. Don't worry, it ends well. It's just that we're going to talk about some of the uncomfortable emotions that we have and some of the difficult, painful circumstances we may be living with. And you may feel some sort of way about that when we talk about it. And if you're going through a process of deconstructing or evaluating your faith right now, that means there's a lot of loss and pain in that journey for you, and you probably have feelings about that too. But if you're like me, you might not have been equipped to face those feelings. Distraction and denial were my go-to emotional tools for most of my life. Projects, video games, TV, social media, more work, anything, to not feel the discomfort. But learning how to sit with my feelings and understand what they really mean has changed my life. I wanted to share that with the people that I work with as a pastor, so I wrote this little journal. The first 30 pages teach you the basics of how emotions work in our body and our brains and how to make sense out of that. And then you learn a step-by-step -step template that guides you through processing an emotional reaction that you have. You know, some event, some conversation that didn't go well, something you have a lot of feelings about. And that template walks you step-by-step -step through understanding it. And the template is repeated 10 times so that you can practice doing this and become more able to just do it on your own. This process made enormous difference for me. I'd love to share it with you. Learn more at www.untangleworkbook.com. A deconstruction is in the air of the extended Christian community. Some people wield that word like a weapon, suggesting that anyone who does it or even says the word is a heretic, denying the fundamentals of the Christian faith. But the truth is, deconstruction is just part of learning. We learn something that we thought was true turns out to not be true, or we learn that what we used to believe was incomplete, and we unpack it, and we evaluate it, and we decide what we'll keep and what we'll let go. Many people are going through this process, and with all the fingers pointing and the accusations, it's easy to wonder if there's room in the church for us. I mean, not too long ago, Beth Moore, the widely known speaker and leader, officially left the Southern Baptist Church after trying for years to stay. Why? Because her denomination refused to thoughtfully consider their history and the way they were injuring people with their language and policies today. I mean, if Beth Moore an evangelical Christian who takes the Bible seriously and has worked for decades to stay faithfully within the structure of a church that doesn't even respect her leadership, if she has come to the point where she has to leave to be faithful to Jesus, well, that can happen to anyone. It's not a failure of your faith. It's your faith calling you forward, deeper, further up and further in, as C.S. Lewis said. So the next few episodes attend to this question. If we don't see a place for ourselves in the kind of Christianity that we see around us, what's next? So let's get to today's conversation. 
One of the ways people have been struggling with the church is that many churches are, quite frankly, not good at holding suffering. It seems like a lot of our church gatherings are built around celebration. We ask people to tell their victory stories. We tell people that Jesus wants to give them the abundant life without really defining what that means. But then people experience life, and life doesn't always feel like a victory, even for Christians. Many of us head to church carrying grief, fear, uncertainty, and in too many communities, all of that is ignored. Even worse, sometimes people are actually told that if they feel those things, they lack faith, or maybe they're even sinning. And people who find themselves with extended suffering, maybe living with depression or anxiety or other mental health issues or even invisible chronic illness, sometimes find that there's just no place for them in the church if they want to talk about their real experience. Today, I want to introduce you to KJ Ramsey. KJ is a writer, she's a therapist, she's a Christian, and she's also become an expert in suffering because she's had to. And from those experiences, she wrote a book called This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. Today, we're going to talk about suffering, faith, the trouble with happy, clappy Christianity, and where to go from here. I came to unfortunately have to be well-versed in the language of sorrow through having an autoimmune disease first. Um, I've had ankylosing spondylitis, AS for short, for 12 years. So I haven't had one day in the last 12 years without some measure of physical pain. But along the way, I've also, through my experience of physical suffering, I've become more attuned to the suffering that's been in my whole story, mm. in my family, as well as spiritual abuse that has happened um, as an adult. And so I come at the world of suffering from a lot of different angles. And, you know, also I'm a therapist, I'm a licensed professional counselor. And so I work with people every single day who are suffering from something. Yeah. My experience, both with them and myself, is that there is, there needs to be more room in the body of Christ to stand in the ground of our sorrow and see our suffering Savior. Okay, that last sentence feels like it needs a lot of unpacking. To stand in the ground of our sorrow. That sounds like something that isn't in the Constitution um, it doesn't sound like it's part of the American dream. It doesn't sound like it's part of the promise the church made to me about getting the abundant life from Jesus. What are you talking about? I am talking about the surprising comfort that we have a savior who still has scars on his hands, hmm. who reaches toward us in are wounded, scarred places and says, I see you because I have been where you stand. Yeah. And it's in that place of connection that the most true abundance is felt and realized. In that answer, you're asking us to maybe redefine 
what we're thinking about when we think about things like the abundant life or how faith impacts our journey or even maybe what it looks like to be happy with our life and our existence. We're going to have to tackle those things. Yeah, well, I'm talking about rethinking and and seeing maybe again what's the goal of being human. Mm, okay. You know, I was um catechized in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the first question is, you know, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have interpreted joy in joy through this lens of more, 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 more stuff, faster. I think joy actually comes, we were shown the face of joy in the face of Jesus. And Jesus chose to live in a body mm, right. that eventually died. Right, right. Yeah, right. So I think we have to re-examine what joy will come through by looking again at Jesus and where he walked and where he then said that we need to follow him, which was right. to take up our cross right, right, right. And, and die. Right, that, that following Jesus piece He's literally on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He's not talking about like, mm-hmm. you know, some minor irritation you have in your life, whatever that small thing is that we sometimes say, you know, well, I'm just bearing mm-hmm. my cross. He he was actually inviting us to die with him. That doesn't fit yeah. with our culture. No, no. We like we prefer to keep death out of sight. And any reminders of death of the decay in our bodies or being less than dazzling we want to hide and pretend it doesn't exist but the good news is that's not the way of jesus and there's this path where we don't have to hide yeah do you feel like that has something to do with why so many church communities don't really seem to have space or take space or be conscious of suffering absolutely yeah it's vulnerable Mm -hmm. It is vulnerable to remember that we all will die. It's vulnerable anytime someone talks to me about my disease and what's happening with my disease, for example, whether they are aware of it or not, my story and my presence reminds them that their body's going to break one day too. Mm. No one wants to face that. But that's. That's really the unique place that the church can occupy, that it's from death that we rise. Right. Talk to me a little bit about your experience of being in Christian spaces as a person with ongoing illness and suffering. What What is that like? And then how does that impact your experience of those spaces? In the beginning years, like I said, I've had my disease for 12 years. So in the beginning years of being sick, I was 20. (laughs) Um, So I was really young and I experienced a lot of pressure to get better faster than I was. Mm -hmm. I experienced judgment as though if I wasn't healed, then I hadn't prayed hard enough. Mm -hmm. People say it directly yeah. and, and people say it in ways like, how are you feeling? Like with the, the, the tone, there's a, 
slight tone there that said with the expectation of receiving the answer better. Okay. But the truth is like I would come to church on Sunday on the weeks that I was able and I didn't feel any better. Yeah. And and I didn't have a treatment that worked. And so it's it's both in our heavy-handed prayers for healing and our positive checking in on each other sometimes that we can subtly shame people who are suffering for feeling sick and struggling longer than we want Mm -hmm. them to. So that's the negative side. I've also experienced people sitting with me in in my sorrow, people sitting with me when I don't have any words to say about how hard this is, but I have a lot of tears to cry. Yeah, I've experienced people coming over and caring for my physical needs, doing my mountain of dishes that I haven't been able to do because my hands can't grab mm. them, or listening and asking about my story, or honoring yeah. the wisdom that I've learned along the way. Those people have been the presence of Jesus to me. Um, they're they're how I've seen those scars that are on his hands. Yeah, they are still there, and they're and that is good. Yes, and that because they're there, there's a place for me in his body. So you said we don't want to face our mortality or our pain. We don't want to be vulnerable. Do you have any thoughts on how? The church has ended up in that place when our model is someone who is entirely other-centered, co-suffering, sacrificial, willing to walk a painful path for others. There's a complex history of both this Gnosticism, uh, dualism that places the the experience of our physicality underneath some sort of illusion of rationality is also the result of like the industrial revolution and technological revolution where we have these expectations that things can happen fast. Mm. We, we highly value progress and utility. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those combined forces have shaped our imagination of what personhood means Mm. in that we are only people if we are useful. Okay. And we're only valuable in our churches if we can serve. And if you are sorrowing, if you are discouraged and you can't serve, you can't stand all of these things, you, you quietly, silently wonder if you are allowed to belong. So I think it's historically there's a there's a lot of factors that come together mm-hmm. to create this consciousness where we view ourselves more like products to get used to make God's glory happen. Okay. Yeah. Rather than people yeah. who are loved. Yeah. Okay. No matter what. So the the Gnosticism thing you're talking about is sort of this implication that who we essentially are, our spirit is what matters and is what's good and is what God cares about. Mm-hmm. And our body, uh, we're not going to worry about bodily needs or bodily accommodations or that kind of stuff. 
the utilitarianism thing, that sort of feels like that's part of our thread of Western Christianity through sort of Puritan Christianity, American exceptionalism, even capitalism. Mm -hmm. Anything that's valuable is valuable because it contributes to the bottom line. And if we aren't contributing to the bottom line, then why are we doing it? And so all that adds up then and someone who's in um, a place of suffering isn't able to demonstrate that I'm measuring up in those capacities. So when the question, mm-hmm. when the question is, is, Hey, how, how are you with that little twist at the end in the context of church where our commitment is Jesus is making all of our lives better and making mm-hmm. our lives better then must mean, you know, healing our injuries, making our sadness go away uh, slowly but surely increasing our financial capacity, you know, all of these things which are making our lives better. But that definition of better isn't a part of our faith story. That's coming from someplace else. I think we're shaped more by the storyline of an American business like Apple or Microsoft than we are shaped by the storyline where there was a fall, there is a people that God has pursued over millennia. There is a God who chose to be embodied and died, and he has not returned yet. Mm-hmm. We forget that we forget what time we live okay. in. And so our stories and our understanding of suffering and ourselves, whether you identify yourself as someone who is suffering or not, is shaped with this expectation of constant progress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it makes us less human it makes us less than people we've reduced ourselves right and then the the only thing that we can celebrate is when those progress markers are met so the only people we invite on the platform to tell their testimony are people who have a good story to tell like i've never heard a church testimony which was someone on the platform just saying i'm in a lot of pain i've been in a lot of pain for a long time i'm still in pain today thanks for listening Yeah, I tell a story in my book about sitting in a church and they had, I think it was like four people came to the front to tell their testimonies. And one, the final one told her testimony of she had like some sort of ear pain. I might be remembering it wrong, but she's supposed to have surgery. Mm -hmm. And then and they prayed for her after church and suddenly it was gone and she didn't have to have surgery. I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm wrestling. I had just popped a Zofran pill in my mouth because I had to take my chemotherapy that I take every single week for my disease. And so I'm nauseated and I take this pill to help quell my nausea so I don't have to like run out of the sanctuary to go puke. And I'm thinking to myself, would I ever be invited to the front of this church mm-hmm. to share my story of how God is sustaining me even right mm-hmm. now? to sit here and be part of this community. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, In that church, I truly don't think I would have been not until I published a book and suddenly then I'm right. Cause that's a mark. That's one of those success markers. You've, you've accomplished something. I'm successful. Right. right? But before that, no, no. And yeah, if I sound angry, it's because I am because I represent so many Thousands upon thousands of Christians who suffer silently and are treated like second-class citizens in the church. Right. And the truth is, we know more than anyone else what what it means to be sustained by Jesus. 
we have something to tell the world that you can't experience when everything's great. This has always been our story. It's always been our story that we were taken into the wilderness, not to die, but to mysteriously follow God into abundance. And I actually, I think abundance is real. It just isn't what we think it is. And then, you know, go back to Acts, you you see all the people are being healed and people are receiving the gospel, but how did Peter and Paul die? It's a fair point. (laughs) Right? We all die. Yeah. Yeah. Whether by a cross or by a disease or by COVID. Yeah. We all die. So I think we have a misplaced emphasis and a forgetfulness, a really ridiculous forgetfulness of what our stories will include when they are still enfolded in this greater story of God's kingdom and this healing that really is coming for all of us, this wholeness that is our inheritance. And I think when we can rightly see the outstretched hand of Jesus that is gathering up all of the shattered parts of our lives, we're better able to live into the fullness of an abundance, even in lives that look like mine. I have so much joy (laughs) in my life and I'm really sick. Yeah. There is so much abundance in my life and I, I really believe it's Jesus that I get to experience meeting me in hard places. I get to see that I'm loved, not for what I do, but for existing. I get to like come face to face with that reality when my body doesn't work more often than most people. Mm -hmm. And that joy of experiencing that I think that's what I was made for. I think that's what you were made for. Hmm. We need to figure out how to include that in our stories. Oh, <laughs> right? Man, that I mean, that is the story, really. All the other stuff that we that we do about discovering our calling and living into our passion and and doing great things for God, I feel like so easily that language is just a cover up for our own natural desire to not go through the process of death. I'm taking yeah. a class from a Orthodox uh, priest, uh, Father John Bear, mm-hmm. and their perspective, ortho- the Orthodox perspective on the cross and atonement is much different than what I grew up with. One of the things that he says repeatedly is, the thing we have in common as human beings is that we die. That's yes. the thing. And what, what thing. God brings us in Jesus Christ is a God who dies. That's the unique thing to Jesus. That's the unique thing to Christianity, a God who dies, not a God at the top of the pyramid that we're trying to climb the ladder to get up to. We take our sort of human or uh, maybe uh, modern or maybe American or maybe capitalist vision, and we, we inject that into glory. And when we think about God's glory, God's glory is a golden tower. It's, it's miracles. It's God doing amazing things. And Father Bear says, no, God's glory is the death of Jesus on the cross. That's the glory. And the gift that God gave you is that in Christ, 
you have died already. The freedom of the follower of Jesus is that you're already dead. So all the death that's coming into your life, it doesn't matter because you're already dead. Jesus died yeah. with you. You died in Jesus. Now, now live your life without fear because you're dead. Therefore, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Uh, yeah. That's what that death makes possible. Right. And then your whole life gets to be a discovery of how true that is. Oh. How good is that, right? Well, it's so much better, right? Because the opposite <laughs> of that or the alternative to that is that my whole life is a constant uh, bouncing back and forth between discomfort and trying desperately to resolve discomfort. You know, internally, emotionally, personally, in terms of conflict, bodily discomfort, the discomfort of not being able to leave my house because of COVID, whatever, name the thing. You know, and I get antsy and I get angry and I get out of sorts because I'm not getting my way. And that's 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 the alternative life. So yep. abundant life is not having to do that all the time. Yeah. Oh, man. Freedom from this like this preoccupation when you stop having to find a purpose for your pain or a way to fix the problem of it, you get to encounter this real presence oh, yes. of Jesus. Okay, so a couple uh, targeted questions. We know Great. that it needs to be better and different. We know that it can be. You've had experiences of mm -hmm. faith community that are able to hold your suffering and be with you. I've had those myself. Um, so I, I want to address two different groups. First, I want to ask you to talk to a person who is in the place of deconstruction because of how their pain has been ignored or weaponized against them. This person is looking at the church around them. Again, I don't mean to say all the church everywhere all the time, but the church they've had access to has demeaned or belittled or not made space for them. In the same service, someone stood on the platform and said, all are welcome here. Everyone's welcome at the table of God. But then there's no accessibility to that table for them. What do you say to that person? That person has heard your story. They've yeah. reached out to you. What do you say to them? If you're in a church where they say that this table is for all, but you're not actually included, leave. You don't need to stay in a community that crushes you. Yeah. There are communities where you will be treated with respect and dignity. So first, give yourself a break from being crushed. Yeah. Pay attention to the way your body feels in this community. Yeah. Do you feel crushed? Do you feel ashamed? Do you feel a tightness in your chest every time you talk to anybody? Mm. You should you shouldn't have to feel like that every single moment that you're at church. Yeah. For me, and this is not prescriptive for everybody. I'm just giving kind of an example to imagine yourself and your own story into a better place. Um, I needed time away. And I took about five months away from attending church with the goal that I would be able to go back, but into a community where I felt more mm -hmm. safe. And spent those the time that I would have spent in church um, connecting with people, part of the body, who felt safe. And yes went back to therapy and eventually I was able to go back and you know I'm a member of a church again. I want people to know that 
you are not faithless if you need to walk away. Yes. There are communities that are safer. There are people who won't crush your soul. And to deconstruct the two by fours of a house that was never actually God's house is actually a gift that you will give to your future self. Uh, that's really <laughs> fantastic. All right. So the second target now is the pastor or the leader in the community. And they hear your story and they say, okay, we want, we want to do better. We want the church to be, we have always said the church is a healing place. We've always said the church is a place that's safe for people, but it turns out we were not, we were not right about that for everyone. Uh, so <laughs> what do you say to that person? I say, take time to listen to the stories of those who are suffering and who do not feel welcome. Try to be a person who is a safe spot for those of us who feel marginalized to be heard. You know, within that, like we were talking about as earlier, is this willingness to be affected by the stench and fingers of death in our lives. That's uh, the hallmark of Jesus. He was willing to be affected. Mm -hmm. I think to allow our affections, our emotions to be stirred up by the faces that are weeping, it changes us. It will change you. It will make you a more safe person. Mm -hmm. It will change how you show up in your own community. It will change the the way that you decide to structure your services, it'll change you. Yeah. So I, I think there's nothing more important than the simplicity of learning how to listen. Yeah. Pastors are no good at that. Right. Cause shepherds today think their job is to preach a sermon that gets shared a lot on social media or to get a bunch of butts into the pews we use Jesus like a pawn in our ploy to gain more political or personal power. And when we do that, we want like the crowds that followed him around after he fed the crowds, he miraculously fed the 5,000. He withdrew because the crowd wanted to come and take him by force and make him king. Mm -hmm. We always want to hustle to try to get Jesus or ourselves a crown and sit on a throne and make the right people <laughs> be able right, to right. be in power again, right? Yeah. The way of Jesus is it's slower than than any of us want to accept and it's more subtle and it's usually not social media share worthy. Yeah. And the most beautiful parts of it that have and contain the most joy are the parts where we see each other and we hear each other's stories. And that can only happen when you slow down. So slow down. And in the slowing, you're going to need to listen. You're going to need to listen to what's going on in your inner life, which if you're anything like me, you were never equipped to do. And maybe even picked up along the way that that was scary and dangerous work. You're going to need to listen to the people around you, particularly the people who can speak to the very things that make you uncomfortable. Yep. And you might have to engage the services of a good spiritual director or therapist to help you grow your capacity to tolerate the tension of slowing down <clears throat> and what gets stirred up <laughs> within you 
when you slow that, down. That's fantastic. To to grow your capacity to tolerate the tension uh, to slowing down, to tolerate the tension for any kind of discomfort. I mean, that I feel like any takes kind. us back to the beginning of the conversation. As a person who's lived in deep suffering, you can't survive if you're trying to live without discomfort constantly, right? You just, you have it. You have yeah. discomfort. Yeah. So the only way to survive is to learn how to tolerate, to grow your capacity. That was the word that you used, to grow your capacity to tolerate mm-hmm. the tension. You had to do that. So many people feel like that the goal of life is to avoid doing that, right? Mm-hmm. That if a church is working right, <laughs> if faith is working right, if America is working right, we shouldn't have to feel those those points of tension. And they're missing out. They're missing out. That's what I'm saying. They're missing out. <laughs> You're missing out. Well, even down to the very way that our brains work. So your nervous system works to grow and change towards goodness, not through perfection, not through getting everything right, but through actually the experience of discomfort and dissonance. Your brain primes itself to wire a new neural pathway when you make a mistake. So built into the very way that God made you, is that discomfort is what makes you grow. Hmm. So stop trying to dodge discomfort. God made you to embrace it. (laughs) Don't you want to grow? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, let yourself grow. All right. So let me ask you this last question. Most of the time, I think, Christians, at least Christians who look like me in the country and economic strata that I live in, They're told the gospel in a way that is about progress. Here's a bad thing that happened. Here's what God does to restore that bad thing and bring you ultimately to perfection. And that kind of of template happens in all different kinds of theological perspectives. So tell me the gospel from the perspective of suffering. Mm, That's a great question. Um, I love that. I think the gospel from the perspective of suffering is that even your tears are sacred and every ounce of your physicality is a place where you can experience God's presence, that the darkest night of your soul is a place that Jesus has already gone that because Jesus died and was rose, rose from the dead, there is nowhere that you can go that is outside the reach of God's love. Your whole life is sacred. I think that's the gospel, according to suffering. <laughs> Every part of your life is enfolded in the arms of your suffering Savior, and you can see and look and discover how true that is and there is a day when you won't hurt anymore and I long for that day too wow your tears are sacred even in your suffering you can experience God's presence Jesus is already there because every part of your life is enfolded in the arms of your suffering savior That was good stuff from KJ. Suffering isn't an argument against God. It's a place we meet God. The church ought to be a place where our suffering is held, where we can be as we are, 
without needing to tie some beautiful bow on the top of the package. There are church communities that don't allow for this kind of honesty and space. But there are communities out there that do. KJ has found one. I get to be a part of one. Find one. Life always brings us difficulty and suffering. If your spiritual community can only celebrate, can only name the victories, only has room on the stage for people who have it all together and have won their battles, then your community won't be of much help to you when that suffering comes. Know this, the deep people, the ones who are for real walking in the Spirit, the ones who've already been through the ringer and still hold on to Jesus, those folks know how to be Jesus' hands and feet in the deep places of suffering. If you have those people in your life, keep them close. And if you don't, find some. They're out there. May you begin to see your suffering as a sanctuary, a place the Spirit is working and Jesus is present. Thanks for listening. Know this, the deep people, the ones who are for real walking in the Spirit, the ones who've already been through the ringer and still hold on to Jesus, those folks know how to be Jesus' hands and feet in the deep places of suffering. If you have those people in your life, keep them close. And if you don't, find some. They're out there. May you begin to see your suffering as a sanctuary, a place the Spirit is working and Jesus is present. Thanks for listening. Notes for today's episode and any links or resources mentioned can be found at markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW044. If you found today's conversation helpful, subscribe to my email list. Two emails a month at most, links to my writing, the next podcast episode, books that I recommend, and more. You'll even get a free little book I wrote called The Anchor Prayer, a prayer and practice for remaining grounded in a chaotic world. It may be of help to you. You can sign up for my email list and get the book at www.markoptin.com. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, even the painful ones, you are loved, you are known, and you are not alone.